Yeah. Like those companies that are, who only make kits for some of their lead teams. Do you think they do a lot? Of, is, is it a busy route, Buenos Aires to Qatar? To do Doha. Think, can you imagine? It, that's quite a long flight, isn't it? That'd be I think, about yeah. 80. That, yeah, that can't be a busy route at all. I think I think the Middle East is able to service pretty much everywhere direct. That's the that's the whole point of them. That's the point of the Middle East, is it? Because if the only they'd <laughs> known they were just an airline hub. <laughs> they basically are, are there to take us places. Um, we are there to experience duty free. Um, but the yeah, you've experienced you've got, duty free there recently, haven't you? Uh, yes. Did you fly yes, that we one? went via Qatar on the way back from holiday. But the um, they're d- direct flights to all all of the states. So is even, that right? even LA. So. From Buenos Qatar? Aires isn't as far. Yeah, yeah. Buenos Aires is further away than you think. No, but I don't think, if you think about the, it's the curvature of the earth, masses, messes it up. Stop it's not talking about lines. the curvature of the earth. Oh, but come on, you flat earther. What's no, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's not curved. <laughs> All right, you, you, I'm you just saying that, denier. that Hugh taught everything with Ferris is the curvature of the earth. I can't do that to the curviture of the earth. It's boring. Well, that's, be- the earth before. <laughs> that's because that's he, he's got this upside I down like, house. I feel like you're lashing out. Whenever we're at, wherever, wherever we're at Hugh's house, we're always on the top floor. I can just imagine that, you know, Hugh with his incredibly milky one sugar tea just like standing and looking out of the window on his top floor. What curvature of the I earth. mean, I think we should point out that Hugh's house isn't that tall. <laughs> <laughs> see the curvature of the earth. I, I actually, from here, as we sit in my living room, it is closer to Buenos Aires here and now mm. than it is on the bottom floor because of the curvature of the earth. I see. Do you see what I mean? He's constantly talking yeah, about I it. Made that one I've up. not noticed I've this before, not, but he's... No this endless of curvature of the earth thing. But that's why, you, know, you know that's why you, you fly up to like Greenland when you fly from America to... From America, America. From, from America. From America. From America. From America. Well, that's why... Uh, that's in, the flight path. This is now... Yeah, but you, it's because of the curvature of the I'm air. now worrying that this is incredibly boring, but the... Um, <laughs> You've why they, about it before. They advertise <laughs> the... Um, in Helsinki Airport, the best airport in Europe, they advertise the... the what is it? The short, the short northern route to Asia. So oh, if right. you fly o- over Siberia, over Siberia, then you yeah. Um, if you fly to Japan, you go over Siberia. Yeah. Same reason. Yeah. Curvature of the earth. It's odd, as I took a flight to Siberia. I don't know if I've mentioned it, and it seemed very long from Moscow. Yeah, that was from Moscow. <laughs> yeah. It was a really you didn't long have to flight. go via Reykjavik. No, it was it. Even though it was on the short route over Siberia, Siberia went on for ages. It's big, Siberia. It's enormous. The curvature of the earth does not stop prevent it. Siberia from being big. Right, okay. That's just, good to just know. Two Is it bigger because of the curvature of the earth? No, the distance travelled will be shorter if you go up and then down as opposed to straight. Do you think we will have lost a lot of listeners who don't believe in, in, in the round earth? Well, I think it's important to tell them this is set-piece menu, so you know what to cancel. The podcast where four friends talk football over food. Uh, the, f- the food has been met with the most average response I think any Not even food that, just, just negative. Think, yeah it was the same <laughs> oh, really? really really well bearing in mind it's nearly December and it's less than a month to go until Christmas I thought I'd get us some some mince pies yeah, but Steve who famously doesn't like any food has turned his nose up at mince pies because apparently pastry is now offensive no it's the it's the pastry's fine well just it's take the, the top off and have the pastry what's then. inside I just why would you and, and why Rory would you put, I, put that in there? I don't like mince pies because they are not made of mince. Well, I thought because last week we had a fully vegetarian offering mm. that I'd get some mince meat to counteract well, that. That's your first mistake. What about which, like if it was, it's like when you get bolognese? Would you if it was like bolognese yeah. mince meat? Would you eat? Well, like, no, I'd, I'd quite like that. I think with pastry, well, not yeah. with a sweet, not with a sweet pastry, but like if you made it a savoury pastry with that was just a tiny bolognese pie, that'd be amazing. Bolognese pie. Yeah, we, we might, could be onto we something. Might be onto. 
I'll tell you what. Okay. Yeah. First, once once the kitchen is finally sorted. That's first, the first, first time, time we're making bolognese, bolognese pies. pies. Excellent. Uh, bolognese pies. Right, okay. Somebody can make us bolognese pies and send them. If they email me, I will forward Rory's address to you. I do, it's not that, it, you know, I understand you're, that Kate... You're, you're still, still going to eat one. I'll eat, pie, I don't dislike mince pies. I think they're okay. I just think that there's other things I'd rather eat. But seeing as they're here and I'm hungry... I'll be honest with you. There are no other things that are currently available for you to eat. Exactly, that's fine. So you have to eat them. With me, Hugh Ferris. Ah, Steve Wyeth. Talented broadcaster, skilled commentator, and owner of a new back of whole house. Rory Smith, intrepid reporter, eminent journalist, and now owner of more than two pairs of shoes. Yes, I, I do. There, there has been an upgrade yep. uh, b- brought to our attention by your wife, who I think has been asking for you to get more than two pairs of shoes think, for a good deal of time. I think I might now have seven pairs of shoes. How's the back of whole house, Steve? Yeah, it's it, it, it's there. I mean, it's watertight. It's still <laughs> it un- It's unusable, but you know, you, you could walk around in it, but there's nothing functioning. Andy, unfortunately, cannot be with us again today. And remarkably, it's not because he's in Portugal. Oh, hang on. Yes, he yeah, is. He's, he's in Portugal. Mm. Uh, but we look forward to his return next week. If you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, you can do via at setpiecemenu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com, or just search setpiecemenu on Facebook. There has been some more reaction to our episode on Manchester City from a few weeks ago. Not necessarily because we antagonised people who didn't enjoy it into getting in touch with us on last week's uh, episode. This from Lewis Ryder, who is a City fan who tuned into the podcast episode 102 for the very first time uh, to have us ask if his beloved club are actually ruining it for everyone by beating everyone. But he stuck with us, so thank you, uh, Lewis. You're very kind. Hi, all says Lewis. He'll learn more about that as he yeah. discovers the rest of the As he podcast. works backwards. I was really struck by Rory's chat, I don't know if that's slightly demeaning, <laughs> about when other clubs' fans may become bored watching their team get beat by City. I'm yeah. a City fan, says Lewis, and I'm wondering when it becomes boring for us. Mm. Part of me sees the slick premeditated football under Pep as slightly predictable, as even I can notice the repetition of certain patterns in our play. Yes, I know, it's a ridiculous complaint, and perhaps bizarre to imagine City fans who are now drunk on success getting bored. But I'm wondering if you guys see a link between the aesthetics of Pep's football meeting expected success and low crowd engagement. Is it not the unpredictability of football which makes fans excited? For example, I remember the Monaco game that they played in the Champions League uh, that finished 5-3 to Manchester yeah. City at the Etihad. Uh, much more than any of our other most recent ones. Has the professionalism of City cost us some excitement? I think the best parallel is probably Barcelona, isn't it? That Barcelona regularly and Real Madrid regularly win home games against the, the lesser lights of La Liga 4-5-6-1. Their fans don't seem to be bored. But I do think there's a, a danger of greater numbers of tourists... It's not a bad thing, going to games at Man City and expecting to see four, five, six goals. Not because the tourists. Well, no, the, 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 the fans, the long-standing fans, I think, wherever they're from, whether they're local or not, but the long-standing actual devote, fa- devoted fans, I think, are a different subject. But the tourists, I think, but the danger is you get the tourists going who expect to see not just victories but, but hammerings. And they respond to that in a very different way to the way that a, a long-standing fan would mm. would re- respond to it. The danger for the fans... It's in, in, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the Totally Football Show, one of our one of our rival yes, podcasts. we are to find out the, uh, yeah, well. the, the, the answer to whether we're podcast of the year or probably any one of the other ones in the next few days. Well, yeah, we mean we're, we're, we're preparing our stairs for a cross the award, oh, yeah. room of award nominees oh, very, very soon. Yeah. Oh, well, you'll, yeah. you'll have that awkward moment where James Richardson has to, pre- to present an award to, to himself. himself. 
The, but he's a nice man, James Richardson, so it's fine. We don't mind if they win. We don't if, begrudge James at anything. And even if the Guardian win, Max Rushton is a lovely man. Lovely I man. love Max. So it's, it's fine if they win. And it's, it's good that the game is nominated. Is for because if the game is nominated, clearly that would be a bit awkward if they win and we but don't. You, you, because you, we now have the game's Rory Times. You look at Rory Times. Rory Times. Rory Times. Rory Times. <laughs> the game's Rory Times. It's the Rory London, Times. New York and Rory, Rory Times. Times. If, you look at, um, <laughs> if you look at the game, you know they lose me, they get in Natalie Sawyer. It's yeah, so actually these are, they are. They, they, are they have upgraded yeah, considerably. The, are they not nominated? No, no, that's interesting. Uh, the <laughs> oh, what a shame. Let's no, that's not true. I love my Gab Marcotti is is one of my heroes. Uh, I say heroes, yes, acquaintances. Yes, it's a bit um, <laughs> the, anyway, I think significant downgrade for the on the Totally Football Show when I was listening to it a couple of weeks ago. Kelly Cates, who's also wonderful, made the point that she she sees at City people kind of having to to restrain themselves from from encouraging City to get on with it and to be a little bit more kind of not direct but maybe less sophisticated in their approach and less less patient and I think for the for the hardcore Man City fans there will always be an enjoyment of this success but I I do wonder whether after a while yeah that that kind of you know the, the 80% possession the endless passing the fact that as Lewis says they are playing to, to set patterns they want to get the ball to the byline cut it back and someone to tap it in that's how City score goals after a while, you maybe do start to yearn for a little bit more chaos than Guardiola's style of football allows. And I, yeah, that probably is a bit of a risk that fans won't switch off because they'll enjoy the winning too much, but they will stop enjoying the winning quite as much as they do at the moment. That is a, that is probably fair. We have been accused before of not thinking about the comparisons with Manchester United when they were dominating. Mm-hmm. So if you put it into perspective of, say, 10 years ago when United were dominant in the Premier League, they would tend to win games 2-0. Mm in a very different way to how Chelsea, when they were dominant, would win 2-0. But they are still 2 nils. What I think City fans have on their side is the fact that there aren't that many 2 nils. No. Even when it's not necessarily as dramatic as a 6-0 or a 6-1, you still get 3 or 4. But the thing that happens at the Etihad, certainly from my experience there, is if that goal doesn't come within the first 20 minutes, there is a bit of a retrograde step into, oh, oh, this might not, oh now suddenly I'm nervous about... It actually turning out in a victory at all, so that but that's a, that they would say that that's a typical kind of city but, reaction it, that to might not also, immediate kind of calming of nerves, and that might also diminish with time when they are con- confident, increasingly confident that the goals are coming. But the other thing that United did a lot, or seemed to do a lot, was go behind in games, even at their very best. You would quite often get Blackpool go into Old Trafford and scoring, mm. and then United would sort of go, all right, then we better swat you aside and score four goals and, and run out winners. They they always had a knack, United, of winning late on. And the atmosphere generated because of that is often better than yeah. an atmosphere generated by, by the inevitability of winning. But there was always a little bit of um, of doubt about United. There was always the chance that, they, that these might be the, this might be the game, like you say. The problem with City is that Frequently, I would say, you know, sort of ninety percent of the time, City have scored the goal within nine, within the yeah. first twenty minutes, and everyone knows this is under. They're not coming back this to win two one particularly. Yeah. actually, United would eventually the they've improved on. United would eventually get round to bludge, bludgeoning you. Yeah. They just take their time over yeah. it. Whether City, it's like death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? This is yeah. inevitable from the word go. Yeah. 
What United used to do, I seem to remember, because I had to commentate on a lot of these games and it was quite difficult to do so. Steve, you would have found this too. Mm. That United were dominant but not scoring. Then they would score just at the moment that the other team was thinking maybe it was going mm. their way after about, say, 25, 30 minutes. Then just when the other team, after half-time, renewed confidence, thinking maybe we can get back to 1-1, maybe even get 2-1, United would score the second. Usually a Ryan Giggs header after about 66 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's generally how they would the pattern that would that would happen so most I th- often. Sorry, I thought you meant I found it difficult because I wasn't a very good commentator. No, look, <laughs> I'll, I'll let others draw their own conclusions. Um, well, Lewis, thank you for getting in touch. You, like Lewis, can tune in at episode 102, if you like, and then spend many, many long solitary moments going through the other 100 plus. So we, uh, we, we welcome your, your contributions and we hope that you spend those dark moments with us. We should be conscious, actually, that, that there might be new listeners. People are always yeah. joining, joining the conversation. Would you like to explain uh, who you are, Rory Times? No, uh, <laughs> they don't need to know who I am. It's not relevant. The, but we should point out that people who have tuned into 102 and 103, we, we don't always talk about Man City. Oh, yes, that's this true. This is not a Man City or podcast. 104, actually. And now 105 as well. This isn't. This one's not about City. This one is just going to be me ranting for 45 minutes. Well, that's fine. I'm, I'm glad you're getting through those mince pies I need the in energy. a timely fashion. Although it's still not mince, it's raisins. Uh, finally, it's always nice when we get questions posed by a listener. You must never be too shy to get in touch with one. People, great people. Mm. Um, Adweight has done exactly that. Hello, gentlemen. Regular listener here from New York City. Love the show. It's tough to get the right amount of banter and quality in any sports podcast show, and I think y'all have managed it perfectly. He literally did the y'all. Oh, amazing. That was Love not that. Me. Love amazing. that. Got into the show because of Mr. Smith. Mm, that's me. Who we've rechristened Mr. Times yes. today. I'm a journalist myself, says Adway. Love football. Don't write about it. And his writing is really succinct when it comes to football. So you notice I put in the, the compliment about the podcast, but also a compliment about you. My writing is succinct. Which near, would, I would normally get rid of. Yes, well, apparently. That is, in, that is incorrect. A question. The subs have really been getting to grips with it. <laughs> For you. Yeah, just hacking it. You do 1,200. It comes out at 600. Um a question for you from Adweight, Rory, mm. and it is this. How did the Times poach his services? Was there a dramatic, uh, you know, conversation that took place in armchairs in a darkened room in a club in southwest London? Smoke-filled, uh, where n- agents met agents? No. All right, okay. Uh, I, w- I would say I don't have an agent, but I do have an agent. But it's just a literary agent. It's fine. It's okay. You need one. Uh, how did the Times poach my services? They yeah. didn't really poach my services. Um, I met... Well, there's two ways of telling the story. The, the honest way is that they we had a bit of a conversation. They said they were looking for a football correspondent. Would I be interested? I said yes. I had an interview, uh, a very, very informal interview. Interviews in the media tend to be quite informal. It might be, or certainly the football media tend to be quite informal. Um, I had a chat with my, my former boss, who's now left for a much better job, uh, and they offered me a job. I told the Times of London, who I was working for at the time, uh, and basically... The, the, what normally happens in that situation is the your former employer or your empl- your current employer learning that you have a new offer will will either match the money on offer at the new place or or surpass it uh, do they want to keep you so much the times of london did not do that <laughs> and therefore it was a very easy decision did, um, did they at least make you serve sort of three to six months worth of gardening leave and my, my leave was quite long actually yeah or my, my notice period was quite long I think it was I think it was three months and I had to haddle them down a bit um, they, no the times the times of London were really were, were really really nice I should be I shouldn't there's no point joking about it they were really really nice about it and I think part of the reason they didn't match the offer was because they knew I wanted to take the job and they understood that but the the better way of telling the story is that about when was it when City launched NYCFC when was that 2014 2013 <laughs> I went, I persuaded 
uh, Tim, my boss at the Times of London, to send me to New York to do like a three-part series on um, on football in the US and it's kind of growth, the growth of MLS, Man City's latest project, all that. And in the course of that, at a New York Red Bulls media day, I met Andy Das, who would go on to be my, my boss, my direct boss at the Times. Uh, and therefore, I've always sort of thought that the Times of London conspired in their own demise. Um, <laughs> Even though you had to convince them. But the, <laughs> they, they paid for your meet and greet. They basically. paid for, my, for me to go and, and flutter my eyelashes at Andy. <laughs> the, um, and I, in fact, I went into the, to the, the MIT's offices then uh, to speak to Andy and Jason Stallman, who was my, our sports editor, who's now no longer our, our sports editor, because he got a better job. <laughs> um, the, ironically, that series of three pieces in the States, which I was really proud of, and were, were three bits of actual kind of, I can't remember what the three installments were. We did it over three days, three yeah. spreads, looked really good, photos were amazing. And it was a kind of interesting thing for a paper to do, to say we had an take the temperature of football in New York and in the States and how it's growing. The Times' editor in conference uh, famously, it, this was relayed to me, said when he was looking at the, the page layout for the Saturday paper, said, um, got a spread of football in New York. And he looked at it, looked at this spread of football in New York and said, we've, we've either not got enough stories or we've got too much money, which is not the sort of supportive approach from your editor that as a journalist you particularly appreciate. Uh, something that has had its genesis on Twitter before we move on to our subject today, um, but we're going to promote it to the big show uh, here too. Chris Walker, a regular contributor, is fast on the road to becoming a Buffalo. He's fast on the road to Buffalo. If he's in upstate New York, he would be heading on the road to Buffalo. Can we find out places that are on the road to Buffalo and use them as staging posts for people on the way to Buffalo status? We shall do that. Whoever can Google that quicker will answer that question. Um, a Buffalo, by the way, which for new listeners like Lewis earlier, um, is our version of friend of the show. You see how we... On every yeah. so often, we just, just remind people. Just yeah, remind yeah. people. Uh, now he noticed that there was a goaltender in the NHL called Antiniemi, who was, of course, also really? a goalkeeper for Southampton and Finland, uh, amongst others. Hearts. Um, so he wondered if there were any other examples of non-footballers who shared a name with a footballer. Not sure we're going to get the position synchronicity every time, but still, we won't expect that from you. But courtesy Bear, for example, on Twitter, sent us the two Gary Ablets, senior. And Junior, who I think have had careers in Aussie rules. Okay. So we've got Gary Ablett. Um, if you have any more, send them to usual places. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com, at setpiecemenu, or facebook.com forward slash setpiecemenu. Other sportsmen who have footballers' names. Harry Kane and Kane, the wrestler. Yes, very similar. Yeah. It's a lot like that, but better. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah, okay. I appreciate you didn't have a lot of time to think about no. that. Um, other people will have a little longer and will be better. So we talked last week um, about tribalism versus truth. On this week's pod, we'll consider how the rules of the game have been dragged into the bar fight between the two. You would have thought that rules equals truth. But as it turns out, rules plus tribalism equals arguing or fisticuffs. Uh, so let's turn to the Cambridge Gadget to explain everything. Roy, let's take a step back, shall we? You're a free spirit. You're annoyed with how the rules are not being employed in the right way. So this is going to be this is going to be a bit of a test of my uh, ability to bring things back round to the subject. <laughs> this is not going to go well for anybody else. I think 105 episodes have been a test of that. Haven't they? Please tune out now. I think we have got the offside rule wrong. Wow. And I think we, the way that we interpret the offside rule, contributes to this endlessly antagonistic world that sort of surrounds football. The way we've got the offside rule wrong. Shall I start there? Let's start there. <laughs> You know when someone says, oh, well, he did look offside, or his toe was offside, or his head was offside, or he was just offside. They are not offside. 
the point of offside going way way back was to stop yeah. was to stop goal hanging. Yes. Was to stop you putting a player standing next to the goalkeeper at all times, waiting for tap-ins, launching the ball on. Great rule. Brilliant idea. One of the great things about football. They changed it a bit in the mid-1920s so that it was only two players that had to be between the man and the ball for you to be on to be onside rather than three. Did they notice that was, was restricting the number of goals? Since then, the offside rule, most people would say, has worked pretty well. Currently, the interpretation of the offside rule is an exercise in pedantry that does nobody any favours. The idea, I mean, you can pick any example. The Let's take the example of the Alexander Mitrovic goal for Fulham at Anfield a few weeks ago that was yes, disallowed. Yes, that was disallowed. And 14 seconds later or something, there was a goal at the Most other scored, yeah. So Mitrovic was onside by pretty much any reading of it. The reason he, the linesman gave him offside is because linesmen have been taught that any part of your body that is offside means you are offside. With which you, you yeah. can score. Yes. With which you can score. So not a hand. Yeah. The, but the rest of the... the but your shoulder, fine, yeah. you can score with your shoulder. That is a stupid way to read the rules. The much better way to read the rule was, was the daylight interpretation that I think kind of existed for about a week and then they gave up <laughs> yeah, on. It didn't, didn't last very long. Or the, the ones where they kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Because the point of offside is not to break up flowing moves because someone has moved... A split a, second inch, too early. Yes. The point of offside is is that if you are clearly offside, if you are two or three yards ahead of the play, then that's fine. To the point that you are gaining an advantage. You're by clearly gaining an advantage. Yeah. That is not the the mic the sort of microscopic difference because you've put a, a foot forward a millisecond before you were yeah. meant to. It's not meant to be a a way of. Games aren't meant to be decided in these incredibly fine margins. Offside is there to, is there as a broad or was originally there as a broad brush solution to a problem, and we've mi- we've missed that. We've lost that. So that now what you get is fans and journalists and players and managers complaining that, complaining that officials can't see things that are not discernible with the human eye, and because you can't, they've done studies. You can't see the ball being kicked and the player moving at the same time. It is impossible because we've kind of got ourselves into this situation where. What matters is not the spirit of the rule at all. It is purely the letter. It is a pedant's rule offside now. And we would all be well served if they change the interpretation completely, which they won't do for a practical reason that's fairly obvious. If they change the interpretation completely to say whether it's daylight or clearly discernibly offside, they won't do that because obviously the problem with the daylight rule was that what daylight is is fairly nebulous. I find it amazing every single time that it happens that no one has no one ever seems to bring up the point. Well, actually, do you know what? If if his left foot was offside, or his you know he was I don't know his a bit of his face was you know his nose he's got a long nose his nose is offside. The um what who is it that used to chant your teeth are offside? Was it Suarez? It might be yeah yeah the or if his teeth were you know that sort of yeah. thing. That's not offside. It's own it should only be offside if it is obvious that the whole body of the player is offside. Yeah. And the reason that contributes to this tribalism is it be- it becomes such a fine margin that it is possible to complain about something that should be a a black or white, no shades of grey truth. But because offside is purely shades of grey, you get, A, you get loads of contentious decisions, which undermines the confidence in the referee and creates this, this hostile environment in which everybody is preparing for the referees to let them down, as Charlie Austin kind of vocalised yeah. after Southampton against Watford. Watford. Yeah, yeah. 
even though that goal was correctly given offside because Maya, Yoshi- Maya Yoshida was very clearly standing in the way of Charlie Austin's header or shot. It was a shot. It was a volley. Shot. Yeah. And the goalkeeper. And even if he wasn't directly in the line of sight, he moved. He moved. He was near the ball, and he was two or three yards off. That, to me, is offside. The fact that Charlie Austin can probably rightly make a case that under the current interpretation, it shouldn't be offside, is total nonsense. When at the same time, Mitrovic, who wasn't offside, was given offside because the linesman thought that maybe his toe was. It's insane. Before I take Rory to task on Charlie Austin, because there's always somebody, and it's normally a journalist on a broadsheet newspaper, who takes the deliberately opposing view of what is common sense, just to try and basically troll people. It's all your fault, is that- on a lot of what you've just said, you are correct. We have start, we've got to a stage where we are analysing offside in the way that we look at the finish line in the yes. Olympic 100 metres final yeah. to try and determine, you know, the naked eye can't tell you which, you know, which sprinter crossed the line a split second before the other. So you need those, what looks like a graph, you yeah. know, with coloured lines on it to try and determine who crossed the line first. That offside has become like that, and it's my one objection with VAR, which I'm genuinely, generally really supportive of, and I think has been implemented pretty well in most places, is that people talk about offside being a linear decision. You were either onside or offside, and in fact, the referee doesn't even need to go over to the monitor for offside decisions because that can be made for them in the VR, VAR booth in some nondescript you know, industrial park on the outskirts of a city in whichever country the game is being played. Whereas that, that actually, like I say, it's, it's absurd that we, if you, if you, the minute you need to put those lines across the screen to work out whether somebody's offside or not, you should be going with the on-field decision. Because is, do you know it, it's it's the movement of people and a linesman cannot be expected free to be able to people. I know I was going to say Steve's point the free movement of people is really unusual <laughs> but very <laughs> much but li- <laughs> linesmen can't be expected to interpret football in you know like, no. like with shutter speed accuracy I would say that the, the moment you, you use those lines they are on side yeah. that, that is genuine this isn't me being willfully or, no, or, or you go with the on-field decision yeah. if so offside has been given yeah. if, there is, if there is any doubt over them being offside they are onside. Because the is, benefit of the doubt should be. Because the benefit of the doubt should be with the attacker, because right. offside is not there. And my dad, to be fair, who is the inspiration for so much of my life, despite very rarely talking to me, is. Um, <laughs> he he feels like he's done enough work now. He pro- probably thinks I'm enough. finished here. The, this is as good as, as it's going to get. The, my dad gets really annoyed when he watches a team passing the ball around really beautifully. And he's watched way more football than I ever will, my dad, and was also a lot better at it than, than I ever was. But he will get really annoyed watching a team construct this beautiful attacking move and then as soon as you know Sergio Aguero or Romelu Lukaku or Shane Long goes contractually obligated a a split second too soon the the flag goes up the whistle goes and it's all over his his belief and it's one that I, I suppose I've inherited is that is not how offside was meant to be used it's not there as like a pedant's charter of of a way to stop an attacking move. It's not, I don't know, how, this isn't a perfect parallel, but it feels like a very Formula One way to watch football. Yeah. It's all about the kind of the absolute science and precision of it. It's not, it's, it's a guideline offside. It's not, it's not something that should be, it's not a guideline, it's a, it's a law, but it's not, 
being used in the way that it was maybe, that, maybe meant that, to. That's the problem. If is you, my, if you, my slightly vague argument. But the, if you open it up to interpretation, then how do you get the consistency? That's the problem. They, the reason yes. that these yes. things have been revised and revised, and it's the same with handball, it's an attempt to try and make it consistent so that you can have um, incident A in match A and then four months later, incident B in match B being judged by the same criteria. Yeah. Even though they might be two different teams or two different, two different players, two different situations and... They'd make an argument as fans, and this is the point we're making, fans would make the argument to um, further their own cause that if, it, if it's not being revised like that, the rule makers will say, then there won't be consistency. Yes, and there is, there is a continual battle, I think, in, in terms of all refereeing decisions between consistency and common sense, which you can't have both. You can never have both. You can only have you can have the consistent application of common sense, but you can't have the same common sense but, between referees. But, but one is subjective, one is objective. And actually, what you're saying is the subjectivity is better in this in this I particular think, yeah. situation. Or, well, no, does you can't does it, again? Do you want to be objectively subjective? The reason <laughs> that they have it, that it has become so pedantic is because, as we've discussed, if you you wouldn't have the consistency of, of criteria, and you would be getting decisions that were not even between the team. So I can see why they've said this has to be a hard and fast law. I don't see why they couldn't change the law 180 degrees and say, that sounds weird, I don't see why they can't change the law 180 degrees and just say that if any part of your body is onside, then you are onside. So just a tiny bit of overlap. That's all you need, just a tiny bit of overlap. Yeah. Even if it's an inch. But you'd still need the replay. You'd still, that would still be hard for the naked eye to pick out. Yeah, but it might discourage teams from playing, the, playing really kind of fine offside traps, which is, it, I mean, the offside trap is a is a skill in getting it right. So is the t- so is the timing of the run to get through. Yes. A, so yeah. Like your dad gets annoyed that they just t- mistimed it by a split second. Well, yeah. lots of people can mistime something for a split second and, and stuff happens. So that's but, just one of the many things, isn't it, that the I mean, players to be, have to get right. To be fair, with, with video technology, and as you say, with VAR, now in most competitions from, from the in the Champions League from next year and presumably in the Premier League from, I think, is it next year or the year after? They're running the trial yeah, at the yeah. moment, they so we are. can expect it to arrive. Yeah, yeah. There is no reason why you couldn't use daylight as a as a criterion. The, but that daylight is the same as saying if any part of your body is on side, then you are on side. Yeah. I think whilst we would be in agreement, the problem is now that now that technolo- technology is in use, and I, I think that will benefit the game in the long run. That you do need to be more precise yeah. in the way that you enforce the laws. I mean, you know, handball is the other one I'm sure we'll get onto that is still very very divisive. Uh, but it, it all fits in with you know if if we could a bit more clarity means that we wouldn't have fans going at each other on social media in the immediate aftermath of matches because of decisions that have been made. And VAR will help that. And you use the Southampton-Watford um, example. All the correctly the, disallowed Charlie Austin goal. The incorrectly on, ruled it, out. No, 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 the incorrectly ruled out Charlie Austin goal because, as you know, 25 years ago, I trained to be a referee, and nothing yes. has changed in the last quarter therefore, of a century. The moral so authority resides with. Yeah, Steve. I'm afraid on all issues when it comes to officialdom. I am the senior party within the group. <laughs> but the, it's so straight-faced, it's brilliant. But VAR could have sorted everything out in that game quickly and with no problem at all. Southampton fans were incensed that what would have surely been the, the clinching goal in the game, three points much needed, was ruled out by an incorrect referee's assistance flag. But Watford fans were also, to my mind, quite rightly pointing out, well, hang on a second... About 20 minutes earlier, we should have had a penalty. The Southampton left-back probably would have been sent off if the penalty had been awarded. And the complete complexion of the game changes from that point on. Now, 
VAR could have sorted that out within 30 seconds. And if that incident hadn't happened or whatever, for whatever, then it could have also sorted out the offside. Because yep. although if you you know you feel like the, the by the interpretation of the law as you understand it having not trained to be a football <laughs> referee twenty five years ago should have been should have been whereas you know it, I don't believe it would have done VAR would have had that goal stand yeah oh it probably would have done yeah so so I, why we're still waiting for this is beyond belief because there's a, there was another good example very recently De Classica brilliant game between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern. And it was 3-2 to Dortmund, but right at the very end, yep. Robert Lewandowski thought he'd scored his hat-trick goal to equalise for Bayern. He was furious when the flag went up. He was straight over to the linesman, and he was, he, was making this, he was making the shape of the ball in the face of the linesman, saying, when the ball was played, I was onside. Mm. Almost instantaneously, we all knew that Robert Lewandowski was wrong, and he, therefore, also knew that the message had filtered back very quickly. Look, we've got this right. There's yep. no reviewing this. We were correct, and everybody just got on with it. Yeah. So, technology and the correct implementation of the rules could solve so much bad blood between I'm people. I'm just going to bring it back to our subject, which is truth against tribalism. And the point there is that, well, that, that there wouldn't be... No, you, you're absolutely referencing every single part of it, Steve. I'm just doing it for the purposes of the branding oh, of okay. the show. Um, and also, because I'm enjoying it so much, I felt like I should say something. Yes. But the... That means you think, Steve, that after the Classica, Dare Classica, there was no, or there would have been less arguing between fans because it, it, it found itself in a place of resolution. Everybody in the stadium knew within 30 seconds the correct decision had been reached because if it had been incorrect, they would have reversed it. And there was, there's no difficulty working out what decision has been reviewed as well, because this was one of the other things. People, people and they, they were still going on about it during the World Cup. Oh, but there'll be confusion in the stadium. There really, really won't be. People will understand when the referee makes his signal what he's turned around. There's no need for big screen messages. In, in that situation, if the referee had suddenly turned around and pointed to the centre circle... Because the flag did go up, yep. so the goal was initially ruled out, on the field was ruled out. If 30 seconds later the referee had pointed to the centre circle and said, goal, none of the 70,000 people inside Signal Aduna Park would have been confused <laughs> as to what had happened. But to, to apply that to what you were saying, Rory, about the offside rule, if you've got a decision which is, as you wish to be, within the spirit <laughs> of the offside rule rather than by the letter of the offside rule, you will inflate arguments you will have people discussing, I say politely, the decision that was reached. Because if you've got a decision even now that is 99% onside but 1% offside, it's given offside. But you're suggesting that actually, with the spirit of it, the 99% should be the one that you, you fall to. So you've got, you are <laughs> making an, an argument which will be completely incendiary when we're talking about the fact that, that fans have reason for... For shouting at each other. I do not believe that offside can be a partial state. I believe offside is like pregnancy. You are either offside or you are not. And that's my problem. That if people, this, this idea of a bit of the player is offside, I think is nonsense. If, if a bit of Someone the player... Someone can be heavily offside. You can be heavily offside. <laughs> in just their a, third trimester of offside. <laughs> Filippo Inzaghi was permanently in the third <laughs> trimester of offside. And you don't ever want to say to somebody, are you offside, just in case exactly, they just case. put a bit of weight on. Exactly. The, in case they're just standing in the wrong place. Um, <laughs> can you not fly if you're in your third <laughs> trimester of offside? The, um, no, I, 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 I think to an extent we're probably talking about two different things. My problem is with the way that we have allowed the rules to be implemented and interpreted, I don't think is particularly helpful for the game in general. 
I don't think it's what the, what the, what these rules were designed to do, and I think it probably does contribute to a more antagonistic environment around football because there is more room for doubt. And Steve is totally right that VAR would, in most cases, they do yeah. they do still make mistakes, would allow for a degree of certainty. And the the example in Dortmund was a, a few weeks ago was a great one because there was an incredibly it was ninety third minute incredibly sort of tense moment and. Everyone accepted it because they thought, right, well, they've got it right, so that, that, yeah. that's what happened. And that is, that's absolutely right. I just think that we have to think about how we are applying the rules and whether the rules basically are doing what they're meant to do. And I'm not sure that the offside rule is. So just to finish on VAR, because the other thing is, and it comes back to something I, was, I said last week, is, is within the spirit of the rules, and VAR falls within that, is, do you know what? It doesn't have to be absolute right or wrong. There can still be a little bit of a grey area. The idea behind VAR was to get rid of the refereeing clangers. Yep. And I think, I'd like to think, maybe naively so, that most supporters would be satisfied with the eradication of the really, really bad decisions and would accept that every so often a 50-50 one might go against you. If, if providing that 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 really bad tackle miss, that penalty that should have been awarded but wasn't is overturned, that they can live with the occasional, he might have been offside, he might not have been, but you know what? The refer- the, the, the really bad decisions, the match-turning ones, w- were turned around. That's, that's Steve living in a utopia again. I know, it? yeah. He always is with his free movement of people. The, um, <laughs> he needs he needs referees' assistance on the hard border between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland. The, can imagine, the well, no, no, I'm not sure a flag system would really be to no. anybody's benefit there, Hugh. <laughs> Did we not? Have a couple of, I can't remember if it was in the World Cup or or if it was in the German Cup final last season when there was the famous VAR not intervening. Incident. Well, as as the commentator for on BT the Sport on, on the DFB Pokal final, ah, yes, I remember Pokal. that. Um, I remember that incident very but, well. But there were a few where where I think that the problem, and I agree with you completely. Should we about explain VAR. that to, to people who didn't let watch Steve, BT's let Steve do it. coverage? Yes. Yeah, so uh, BT Sport is a channel in England, <laughs> <laughs> watched by some people, but yes. not that many. But the, when they, Steve's on, at least two more people. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt were leading Bayern Munich 2-1 in the final. Uh, stoppage time. A Bayern thought, perhaps correctly so, that they should have had a penalty and the opportunity to equalise and make it 2-2. Referee initially points to the corner flag for a corner, is advised by the video assistant referee that he needs to take another look at that incident, does so. The expectation for those of us commentating on the game, getting the benefit of those replays was... He's going to turn his decision around. Not, you know, it's a really, it's going to take a really brave referee not to watch that replay and realise that that probably was ninety percent a penalty. But he's stuck with his on-field decision. Corner kick awarded. Buy and complain a little bit, but realise time is against them. Get across, take the corner. Goalkeepers up from the back. Eintracht Frankfurt clear it. Uh, striker. Sprints the length of the field and sticks the ball in into the empty net. Three-one, game over. It was very dramatic. I can't remember if it was that decision. Was it for? Was it a foul on Boateng? Am I making that up? I can't remember. I've all, I've, I, I literally have exhausted all memory and recollection yeah. of the incident now. But there was and there was a couple in the World Cup where the and it was they were used as reasons not to sort of back the introduction of VAR. The France Australia one, I think, is one yeah. that you're thinking of. But where where basically there isn't a correct answer. You can look at it mm. in. One light and think definite, definite penalty. You can look at it in another and think maybe not, I'm not sure. You've got to bear in mind that referees are still... And this is my other big issue with this whole thing, is that referees are under enormous pressure and they don't have the time, certainly without VAR, but even with reviewing, going to the side and reviewing it, they are under time pressure that we're not at home. And so they will make mistakes. And I think in football, there are a lot of one, a lot of decisions you could probably make a case 
either way. And with VAR, and we've discussed this before, you have to accept that there will be those moments for your team and against your team where you have to remember, look, this isn't a perfect science. The the reason, the connection that I think we have here between my belief that the offside rule is wrongly interpreted and the overall subject is that by pretending we can make it a perfect science, we increase as a football culture, that's the media, the pundits, the managers, whatever, we increase the expectation that it is a precise yes or no, black or white answer, when a lot of it isn't. And I think if we embrace that, as offside is meant to do, then it makes it easier for us all to inhabit this world. Solution. FIFA need to invest in the rights for the countdown clock, the 30-second yeah, thing. Yeah, Countdown is a... <laughs> television is a British, long-running British television quiz UK. show. <laughs> if... Once the referee gets to the screen, they've got 30 seconds to be convinced that their on-field decision was, was wrong. Yeah. If they can't make their mind up within 30 seconds, they go all incidents, they go with their on-field. If they've not been convinced within 30 seconds they were wrong, yeah. move on. But they, I mean, this is, again, going back to what we talked about during the World Cup. It is, it is not an exercise in trying to convince the on-field referee that he is wrong or right. The referee has his own subjective interpretation of the laws, whether they are too precise, not precise enough, whether they are common sense or whether they are consistent. That The whole fact is, is that that referee is in charge of that game. And if there is a subject, subjectivity to be had, if there is an interpretation, which there always must be, because not every incident is exactly the same. Every mm. incident is crafted and created in its own unique set of circumstances. If that is the case, then surely we are in a position where we have to just then trust the referee is being true to himself. So the yeah. truth here is the referee truthfully refereeing that game, even if he's refereeing it initially and then refereeing it again when he sees different angles. That is the trust we must place in the officials. And Rory, you always talk about the fact that we shouldn't be so hard on officials who make about 300 um, decisions a game. Some of them are not particularly important. Some of them are. So clearly you want to get the 10 important ones right and not the, the least important 10. But VAR can do that, for example, with offside much more satisfactorily because we can, if, if you don't like the lines, fine, but you can do, whether it's day- daylight or whether it's a line that you have any part of your body that can score offside, you can at least make that decision. The issue and the arguments will come, as it did in the World Cup final, as a result of either penalties or handballs where there is subjectivity mm. because people are seeking to find some sort of, as you say, Rory, precision in a subjective decision. And that just can't happen and shouldn't happen because it is the referee making a decision based on what he sees and his interpretation of that incident within the framework of the rules of the game. So if people are expecting that VAR will come into the Premier League, where we'll see it much more often than we do the World Cup, even though the World Cup was this kind of intense period of nobody understanding it and nobody being told how it worked, which of course was our massive frustration at the time, is that if you've got handballs or penalties and then the fans watching of either team expecting some sort of truth to arise from it, they're not going to get that. So VAR in those instances is never going to be able to find an answer that is satisfactory to both sets of fans because half the time it will go this set this way yeah. to this set of fans, and half the time it will go the other so how long will it take then for a new truth to come out of this tribalism where everybody accepts that the referee is making an honest decision they're doing their best they're doing their best and whichever way he decides it's because that's his interpretation of the rule that's never going to happen I, I guess where I will come VAR from will VAR help that to happen because it, they will just be so incessantly the decisions that they see what you have to hope 
and this is broadly where I come from on the whole subject, what you have to hope is that with VAR, there are fewer decisions that lead to long-running contentiousness because VAR, with the Lewandowski example being, being a, perfect, a perfect one, VAR clears up a proportion of the most contentious ones to a point where most people are satisfied, ah, that yeah. was offside, fair enough. We haven't lost that game or been denied the yeah. win because of that goal. And it takes the heat out yeah. of the situation really quickly. So the, the fire that fuels the anger around individual instances... Will, will no longer exist. So, so Lewandowski's and in absolute fury and he hears boo and he's immediately placated. Maybe not immediately. <laughs> but he did, Steve's right. He did, they didn't, Bayern didn't complain. They realised, well, it obviously was offside, so fair enough. He was furious up until the point where he realised the person um, yeah. watching this replay on the screen is not reversing this decision. Right. So it's so correct. I, so, yeah. so I look stupid? Yeah, or? so I'm in danger of making a fool of myself. Won't there be several players who will continue? I mean, we saw players doing that during the World Cup, making the TV sign, even though that's not how it works. But they are well, still thinking yeah, that's that about they getting can used, influence. That's about yeah. players getting used to it. and about as we, So Le- as Lewandowski we, is a product of VAR being in Germany for long enough that the, he he has a, a, a yeah. modicum of understanding and doesn't behave like They're an idiot. in the second season of it. They've ironed out the problems that they had at the beginning of last season and everybody is satisfied with how it's being implemented. Yes. Yeah, and I think that what, what you what you will see is a is a gradual cultural shift where players kind of understand, all right, well, there is a sort of a deus ex machina watching over us. Okay, and pl- players, what about fans? And I think probably fans too, yeah. I would imagine they take fans. their lead from because players the, and managers. Well, this is, this is my... Part my one, view part one last week part on one, all of it one. as it's resting part one is that it's all part of an environment that, that everyone contributes to it. the fans are not creating it the managers are not creating it the players are not creating it everyone is creating it and feeding it and fueling it and if you take a little as Steve says a little bit of the heat out by providing some sort of a, some sort of certainty with certain decisions or as I would have by stopping the kind of nitpicky pedantry Kind of this is the well actually that was that that his left toe was offside so he, that goal should not have stood. How it's a disgrace that the linesman didn't see that that thing that, that the human eye cannot discern. <laughs> then you you change the the general environment and in, as the as slowly as the general environment changes, people's behaviour changes. In terms of of handball, that's a nonsense as well. They but not through through different reasons they have messed that rule up, and I would wager. That about eighty percent of players don't understand what the, hand, the handball rule is. So via, via the, as we said earlier, via the constant tr- attempts to refine it to be precise, precise, but also to be attempt to be consistent. I would have said that, and we, we, and it's maybe I'm not even sure if this is a consistent position. I would have thought that the easiest easiest thing with handball is to say you have to, you have to try to handball it. You actually have to move your ball towards so the hand. Do, so Perisic in the, um, the hand, hand in the, the in the, the final of the World Cup, handball or not handball. No way. Handball. Not handball. Right. So why did the referee give it? The referee because the ball because, hit his hand. Because the referee subjectively thought that he was doing something that contravened the rules about handball. Yeah, this 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 tiny kind of... Again, it's to do with precision and detail and, and wanting everything to be sort of Formula One-y and perfect and... Here's the split time. I don't know why I think it's Formula I just don't like Formula <laughs> there are, 1. There are, there are other sports that are based that, on milliseconds. That's slightly sort of... And Steve, the, the parallel with the 100-metre final win offside is, is absolutely right. You are applying that same standard of like, of precision to dozens of decisions in a football match. It's insane to run it that way. Yeah, and, and handball is the same. It's this kind of... I mean, I think we're all pretty much on board with the fact that if it's really close range, it's not handball. There's nothing you can do. But some of those still get given because there's uncertainty about what constitutes close range. That's a subjective thing. If there's motion, there doesn't have to be motion towards the ball. There should be. There should have to be motion towards the ball. Otherwise, it is literally the ball 
hitting your hand. What about the unnatural position? Yeah, the unnatural position I think is fair enough. If you are generally directing the ball, in, or you're creating more of your body area that the ball might strike, then that's fine. But I, I don't think any of the changes in the last few years, and there have been loads where the, the interpretations change, help in the slightest. And it's all in pursuit of this kind of everything has to be the same all of the time precision that is not really attainable. And we should, we should, the, the powers that be should understand that that precision is not attainable. They should identify that the search for precision is creating an antagonistic environment. And they should think, well, actually, all right, in that, in that case, what we'll do is we'll stop trying to be so to find this kind of universal correctness and accept that in football there's a bit of chaos and sometimes things aren't perfect. Again, I'd like to see you write that in a rule book, by the way. <laughs> you just take it out. <laughs> a, well, as the Pierre-Luigi Colina of the group, I, I can again offer some <laughs> assistance with this. Well, they, they, as we said, the hair coverage is... Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, similar, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of going that way, actually. I mean, might solve an awful lot of problems. Well, I might need to get it cut more often, so I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm split, really. Um, At least you can do it yourself. Yeah, the, hand, the handball one, again, it, it, that, whereas, it's, whereas we've talked about the you know, fault of interpretation or you know, fault of technology or lack of technology this handball is definitely a fault of the rule because you know the deliberate thing the word that's in the phrasing in the rules just make you'd never almost never see a handball given if deliberate was the barometer by which the referee made their decision you're literally talking about has that person punched the ball out of the yeah. air have they caught it and stuck it up their shirt and run 50 yards on the field it just doesn't deliberate handball almost never happens because you're talking about you're not talking about kids on the playground who instinctively catch the ball as it's heading towards their face you're talking about you're talking about you know experienced footballers who know that touching the ball with their hand is something they're not supposed to do so they wouldn't you see instinctively it on, you see it on goal lines to deny to, that's the only yeah. time you see deliberate handball and, and, yeah. and, and, but again it's, it is infrequent because almost because the players don't have that you know outfield players don't have the reactions of a goalkeeper and the instinct instinct of a goalkeeper to make a save with their hands the the way they could help out with handball and to take again animosity and tribalism out of the equation is to say could the player have done something to stop the ball striking their arm Mm. and that unnatural position thing is the other thing were their arms above shoulder height would be quite a good. If their hands, if their hands were pointing in a way, their hands are pointing upwards or they're above shoulder height, then you could say, well, that's an unnatural position and they are spreading mm. the, their body. They're making themselves larger deliberately. If their arms are in a downward position, even if they're kinked at the elbow, you'd say, well, that's not unnatural. Yeah. And if you, say, if you look at the incident, you say, and Perisic in the World Cup final is a really good example. Is there anything Ivan Perisic could have done to stop the ball striking his arm? Absolutely not. It took a deflection a mere yeah. what, two or three yards in front of him. His arm was in that position consistently from the moment he jumped to the moment the ball struck his arm. There's no way he could have been re- expected to react to withdraw his arm. Mm. And nobody would have had any issue if that was the rule. Is there anything the player could have done to stop the ball striking their arm and was their arm in a reasonably natural position it isn't handball have we fixed it I think we've fixed it that's, Steve's right the, again the, this unnatural position thing and obviously there are, we all know what yeah. 
I'm what sort of crazy unnatural? I'm yeah. talking about your, are your arms pointing upwards. Are you doing jazz hands? Are you yeah. making a star shape? If 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 is a gen, if from the line of your shoulders, your 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 arm is generally pointing downwards, then that's a perfectly re- but you do re- you reasonable position to move to be moving. And I'm doing I'm doing I don't know why Steve I'm moving my arms like it's it's it's, 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 it's an audio medium. Nobody can see me. The wish we could. If you if you well, get when well, no, I looked away, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> you do get commentators and others talking about, you know, a player's arm being kind of a six inches away from his hip, and people saying, "Oh, well, that's an unnatural." I mean, th- that is not how you're meant to watch football. And this sounds really stupid and really kind of woolly and s- childlike, and I apologise for that. But you're not meant to watch football thinking, "Well, actually, his arms are not quite where they ordinarily would be in a traditional running motion." That is not what football's about. It's not really how we're meant to be watching it. So Steve's totally right that if you if you simplified the handball rule by saying is there anything the player could have done to prevent this disaster happening, then you probably get you probably get closer to what the handball rule should be, yeah. rather than this weird mix that we've got now where it sort of it kind of has to it kind of has to be intentional. The referee has to kind of think it's intentional to give it. It can't be too close range, but it can't you know if it's if it's quite close range, that's probably fair enough. You get there was a point with Suarez at Liverpool where he was trying to get handballs from players. He was bouncing the ball into the ground quite hard to fire it up at people's hands. He did it three or four three or four times in five or six games, and it was obviously he decided this is how I win penalties that I will kick the ball into the ground at your hand, and so you don't quite have time to realise what's happening. It hits your hand. I, cl- I claim for a penalty. That's not what really is meant to happen. To be honest, that's not really. How football's meant to be played, and it, again, it comes down to this desire to have the rules as kind of the most important thing. Like the rules have to be so precise and so accurate that they are the most important thing. They're not. Foot- Sometimes the ball will hit your hand on a football pitch, or it will hit your lower arm. And to be honest, as long as you've not done it kind of entirely, as long as you're not swinging a punch at it, or yeah, you're, you're like a starfish. It's fine, and I don't understand why we've allowed ourselves to get into this position where these minor, and this is what it is, this is the whole subject, minor infractions are given huge significance, which allows fans and journalists and managers and players to get really cross about tiny, tiny, tiny details, and that's what contributes to the antagonistic environment. And particularly in penalty situations, yeah. because if that handball is in the penalty area, you're thinking that tiny infraction means a penalty and almost certain goal. I mean, it, that's that's why they they hang on to this. This is why people contort themselves into into positions of argument so they can say that. Well, it, again, is it ninety nine percent or is it one percent? If it was one percent handball, then for the person who wants it to be a handball, it's a handball. Yeah. For a person who is on the ninety nine percent of it, they say, well, it's ninety nine percent not a handball, so therefore it's not a handball. Fixing that is not necessarily easy because even if you do employ Rory, what you said or what Steve said, there's still just enough level of interpretation to have somebody contort themselves into supporting the argument that helps their team. Of course there is. And even if there wasn't, people would find, and managers, managers lead this kind of contortion, would find the whataboutery argument and saying, well, if you look at what happened to Man United two weeks ago, then they didn't concede a penalty. The, so why the did consistency wait? is an issue even yeah. if you change Yeah, and you can't, again, you can't get lots of different people in lots of different situations to do the same thing all of the time in exactly the same way. That's impossible. I just feel that if you took a lot of the kind of detail out of it and said, look, these these rules are meant as broad brush things. Let's stop trying to 
punish every tiny infraction, you would reduce the number of incidents over which people can get cross, which would reduce the crossness as a whole. Uh, we started in part one talking about Luis Suarez, and we've ended part two by mentioning Luis Suarez as He's well. just everywhere. Beautiful, cyclical uh, end to the conversation. Now, with uh, Andy unavailable today, something uh, that he was very familiar with during his career, Hinchcliffe. <laughs> Unavailable in brackets. Uh, we have a gap for a soccer story. So I wonder if one of us has been hinting at a story about their own lives that is related to soccer and one player in particular and we just haven't had time to get around to it. <gasps> Never mind, Jack and Ori. What a Savo story. <laughs> it's time for Rory Smith of the New York Times to tell us a story which will not at all live up to its billing and constant no. teasing about Savo Milosevic. It's not so much... But then to be well, fair... it's about you. Like... Like Chinch's sort of stories, it's not really a story. It's not. It's just a thing that happened. Just a thing that happened. Which is basically what Chinch does. He just remembers things that happened to him and then tells us about them. Isn't that like Th- a whole this story is not funny? This is not a funny story. I, I need to. I need to. Don't play everything. it down too much. I need to need to build up. It's just an interesting fact. Well, it's not even an interesting fact. It's just a thing that happened. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let's do that again. Never mind, Jack and Ori. What a savo thing that happened. There you go. Uh, in the summer of 1996, uh, Sava Milosevic signed from... It was in Spain, wasn't it? Or it was did in he Spain. go was, to I think Spain? He may, no, I think maybe he, he went to Spain. He definitely went to Spain. I think he went from... I think it was Partizana Red Star. Who, who can Google quicker? This is a, is a, is a game between... Um, it was Partizan. 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 In the summer of 1996, famously, Sava Milosevic... Or Benicio Del Toro, as he's known in the uh, the movie world. Serbian hotshot <laughs> signed... Shall I t- try and tell it like change? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Serbian hotshot, Sava Milosevic. Tell it like you're still working in the news department for the Daily Mirror. <laughs> uh, do his Ovidian epithet. Serbian hotshot, yes. Sava Milosevic, signed from Partizan Belgrade to Aston Villa, you'll remember. It's 1995. Was it 95? Yes. 1995. Because didn't he score in the 1996 League Cup final? Oh, he might have done, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm not an Aston Villa fan, although I, did, I was a big fan of Mark Bosnich as their goalkeeper uh, when they won the 94 League Cup final. Share any um, social habits? No. <laughs> uh, me and Bozza are probably very different characters, although he's now a, a widely respected pundit on Australian TV, I think, Mark Bosnich. And I had a, had a huge... I thought he was, a, he was my favourite goalkeeper. Suggesting that... that, that. No. The, the, I just... I just He's just one of my childhood heroes. Okay. Don't sully his name. Um, anyway, so Milosevic signs for Villa. And that was, I think it was the same time that King Clancy signed for Manchester City, 95. And it was the same, same time that happened. And this was at the start of kind of English football's love affair with foreigners. There were more and more coming in. 94 had been the big one when, when all the World Cup players came in. Philippe Albert, Mark Hottiger, people like that. Uh, and in 1995, that seemed to spread to your, your Eastern Europeans. King Clancy, Milosevic. <laughs> your Milosevic's, your King Clancy's. Uh, and others. Anyway, uh, in I think the September of 1995, Radio 5 Live, as it had only recently been rechristened, ran. I think a five back then it was uh, w- just Radio. Was it Radio 5? Five? Radio 5 Live came. Several I think, no, years I, no later. I think the Five Live was marketed in '92. That's when Five Live started. No, Radio 5 did. Oh. It did become Five Live until right. a lot later. Okay. Anyway. So it was radio, still Radio 5. Very important for all those people who appreciate the minutiae of radio branding. Rory Smith at the time was. 13. You weren't Rory Smith live at the time. I wasn't Rory Smith live. I was I was 13-year-old Rory Smith. Anyway, I was I was precocious, in, I'd imagine. Oh yes. Yeah, probably quite precocious. Reading um, Ovid even then. No, but I was I was very keen on the magazine World Soccer, which is relevant. Uh you'll notice of course that's called that's World Soccer, British magazine using the word soccer. <laughs> Outrageous. But 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 they get loads of abuse on Twitter for it. I think it's World Football, mate. Anyway, um Anyway, five, Radio 5 had a phone-in on a Monday night 
because there won't have been a game on, uh, with Davin Hamilton, of editor of World Soccer. There we go. And I was listening. I was. I've always been a very keen radio listener. And I... Now you're a keen radio contributor. Well, it's part of the reason why I like doing the radio, because I have literally always listened to the radio. And you I, only have two pairs of shoes. And No, I've now got more pairs of shoes than Three. that. Um, the This is... Stop distracting me. It's really hard telling this off <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what we do to Chinch. We're taking you through the process. I know, I don't like it. And you consistently interrupt Chinch. I Chinch's. don't like He's it. He's super annoying, isn't he? You, really annoying. You uh, reap what you sow, 13-year-old oh, my own be- My own medicine's bitter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I thought I'd ring up. Uh, this, this, this. It was a European football phone-in, is how they 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 trailed it. So I was listening. I thought I'm going to ring up. So I ran up on a landline, millennials, and <laughs> they called me back. And I got through. And I, I suspect my voice would would have been at 13. So my voice would be breaking. I suspect I sounded like a teenager. Uh, and I asked the question to whoever, whoever the presenter was and Gavin Hamilton, whether they thought that more Eastern Europeans would follow in Milosevic and Tintlati's footsteps. And come to the Premier League. So I thought these Eastern Europeans were very, very glamorous. I hadn't yet seen Salva Milosevic play at this point. <laughs> uh, although I would later fall in love with Georgie Kinkladzi, as every right-minded person did. Uh, and they, they, they answered my question. I think they said, I think Darren Hamilton said no. Uh, and then at the end they said, and <laughs> that's, you, a, that's a question uh, from Rory, a 13-year-old from Leeds. And they were very impressed that I was 13. And that was my first ever radio broadcast. And that's the story. So that's what set the wheels in motion. Uh, no, not really. It, I later forgot about it until about three weeks ago. No, longer than that. <laughs> yeah. So about two months ago, when for some reason we, t- we were talking about Savo Milosevic and I remembered. I think whenever I think of Savo Milosevic, I think I once called into a radio program and asked a question about him, but I very rarely think about Savo Milosevic. You think more often about Georgie Kinkladzi? I think about Georgie Kinkladzi a lot. I think about Georgie Kinkladzi a lot. And not just as he tends to be at Manchester City, Manchester City games, refusing to go onto the pitch. Yes. Just <laughs> refusing to actually do anything. <laughs> just wants to be paid to fly, to fly over to Manchester. Yes, the, the, the quid pro quo on that is um, pretty much just the quid. Was that worth it, that story? Very much so. Yeah. And, and it, we, we knew the story yes. prior, so it's very much worth it to all those many thousands, millions of people who were on tenterhooks for weeks to know where this story would end. You wait till I tell you my Ovid story. <laughs> well, yes, we're going to be teasing that now for another... Three months, and he dimis- he dismisses it. But would Rory be in a Monday Monday night club WhatsApp group with Ian Wright, Chris Sutton, and Chappers if it wasn't for appearing on Five Live on a Monday night as a thirteen-year-old with an inquiry regarding Savo Milosevic? We just simply don't know. You d- it was it, that was my slide of yours moment. moment. <laughs> And as a fellow presenter to mm. Chappers of Monday Night Club, which, uh, of course, well, I, done it once. I have done once, um, Beautifully, though. I would uh, like to say that there is no WhatsApp group with uh, myself, Pat Nevin, James Ducker and Ollie Kay. That would be a great WhatsApp, WhatsApp group. Great. Although I imagine fact, you're in a WhatsApp group with at least two of those. With Nevin, I imagine. I'm not in a WhatsApp group. Isn't there group a journalist WhatsApp group with Ollie no. Kay and James no, no, no. Ducker? no. No, not that I'm part of. Well, thanks, Rory, for that uh, great ending to that story, which I might have ruined. Uh, Thank you, uh, indeed. We leave you with a reminder of how to get into touch uh, with us at SetPieceMenu or SetPieceMenu at gmail.com, facebook.com forward slash SetPieceMenu. Please subscribe, rate, share and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and Rory and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another SetPieceMenu for you to enjoy very soon, indeed. Excellent, very good. I feel a bit, I feel a bit like I've let people down with that no, story. No, you should never do that. Never, 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 ever do that. I mean, build it up. Do you know what I've realised as well? It's not a story about Ovid, it's a story about Horace.
Oh, but you've told that horror. The horror yeah, yeah, have I told you, the horror yeah, story? Yeah, we know all yeah, about, about horror. About hitting your head on the on the way. Have I oh, told no, that no, on it's air? about it's about yes, the the, the Cambridge guy. Yeah, you yeah. saying to him that you're yeah, not yeah. a big fan well, of I told of that in public. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. outrageous. Yes, you, you, I'm a really boring you've man. you told the story how, how you got into Cambridge by basically insulting your Blow lecturer. in my interview. Blow yeah. my interview, not my interview. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a, said, that's a much like better a, story. A, a Horace genius. He, would like he was a Horace. About Horace. He was a, he, he, he'd written a book about Horace. I can't believe I've told that. I yeah. really need to get better material. I'm, I'm even more disappointed that there's not actually an Ovid story. There isn't an Ovid story. I did read a lot of Ovid, but he's fine as Ovid. He's fine. Is it? I wonder if we should end the podcast by reading a short. Phaethon is his best. Is it? Is it? P h a e t h o n. Find a line from it. Did Did you know that um, Savo Milosevic cost the then Aston Villa manager Brian Little three point five million pounds in the transfer market? I did. And did you know that the tabloids nicknamed him Misalosevic? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Regular dry spells. All available via Savo Milosevic's. Wikipedia page. The sun, seated in the middle of them, looked at the boy who was fearful of the strangeness of it all, with eyes that see everything, and said, What reason brings you here? What do you look for on these heights, Phaethon? Sun that no father needed deny. Phaethon replied, Universal light of the great world, Phoebus, father, if you let me use that name. If Clemeni is not hiding some fault behind false pretense, give me proof, father, so that I believe that...